Well, good evening and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to have you with us tonight. If you'd grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. I know if you were here last weekend, uh, Ryan spoke right out of this passage. I'm not going to preach the exact same message, but I'm going to kind of go back to the same place. Uh, Kind of interesting how that works. It's great to have you. We are kind of doing what we call a standalone uh, message this weekend on this this Labor Day weekend called Tag Your It. We're going to explain a little bit more of that um, in just a minute. But uh, I want to really take this moment to invite you and to remind you again about the 10-year anniversary that's going to be happening next weekend. There won't be a Saturday night service. There's going to be one service at 10 o'clock at Germantown High School and these cards They're on your seat, not just for a reminder for you, but to invite someone. Uh, Everybody in uh, the Germantown area have received an invitation to come. Uh, Matter of fact, I was out having breakfast with with my family this morning, and there were people that are community leaders that said, hey, I got the invitation, and we're going to be there. And I'm just, let me say this. Next weekend is one of those services that you want to be at. It's going to be incredible. If it's hot, make sure you dress uh, really pretty light. Uh, I mean, make, wear clothes, but I mean, you know, like wear shorts and that kind of a deal because we are in the, in the high school gym. Uh, if it's cool like this, it'll be great, and that'll be awesome. And so anyhow, uh, but it's going to be a great, great, great time. Invite friends, invite people. I'm telling you, next weekend, you do not want to miss. Look at your neighbor and say, you do not, come on right now, you do not want to miss next week. I promise. If I'm wrong... I'll take you to Maggiano's. Okay. Everybody's like, whoo, yeah, I'm going to that, girl. All right. This is kind of the end of the summer for us, you know, and wow, fall all of a sudden just hit, didn't it, like in the last 24 hours, which I love fall. And, um, but just kind of thinking back uh, and knowing that I'm doing this message and really kind of going into the fall, it reminded me of one of my favorite summer pastimes as a child, and that's playing the game of tag. Now, I don't know if you have played tag in a while. We're not going to all do that in this room, although I guess we could. But tag was one of those things that, like, all the kids in my neighborhood we got involved with. And everybody knew that we could play until the streetlights went on, and that's when you had to go home, right? So we would play, like, these neighborhood games of tag where there would be all these pe- different people's houses would be, like, the boundaries. And then you'd have, like, kind of like a home base if you want to. Because there's no, like, universal rules of tag except for somebody's it, and they're it until they tag someone else. And then that person is it, right? And you, nobody else in this room has ever played tag? Okay, good, great, we're good. Okay, so, so, and, and, and so playing this was just something that we love to do. And, and once you tag someone, there were basically three common excuses that you heard. First is, I didn't feel it. Do you remember that? I didn't feel that. You didn't tag me. At which point in my neighborhood, then you punch somebody. And you go, did you feel that? Tag, you're it, right? And then you took off. Uh, and we'd also kind of like throw a little bitty rule in there that said, you know, no tag backs because that was too easy. And then, or the second response was, I'm out, I was out of bounds. I'm out of bounds. No, no, not the driveway. The, the fence is the out of bounds marker. So I was in the driveway, so I'm definitely out of bounds. And the, all the kids have to can come and confer and, and decide who was in bounds and not in bounds. So then you pushed them in bounds, right? That's what you did in my neighborhood. Now you're in bounds. Now you're it. Or the, or the one that I hated the worst was when you got ready to tag someone. And then all of a sudden they go, I quit. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, that hurt you too. Didn't like it in me, right? I mean, you're just like going, I have ran everywhere to tag you. And now you quit, and then in my neighborhood, we'd still, we'd punch you. So, uh, 
so what does this have to do with the message? Well, in Luke chapter 15, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives these parables. And he gives these three back-to-back parables. And understand something in Scripture. When, uh, when the Scripture wants to make a point about something, a lot of times it does it in threes. Paul does this a lot in his writings, uh, in, in the pastoral and the prison epistles. He, it's, it's to make emphasis of something. And so Jesus gives this parable of the lost sheep, which Ryan preached last week on, which I'm not going to re-preach, but it's basically, for those of you that don't know the parable of the lost sheep, it's about the shepherd who has 100 sheep. He goes and counts the sheep. He realizes there's only 99 in the pen. One's lost, so he leaves the 99 and goes after the one and searches for the sheep until he brings him back home. The, The second, Jesus just goes right to the second parable. And again, a parable is a story with a meaning. And he basically goes right into this person who has this coin, and they've lost this coin. And so they search their house and they sweep their house until they find this coin because it has sentimental value as well as it has financial value. And, and, and so, so he does this deal. And then the, then the last parable is the parable of, of the son, this, this lost son. And, and the audience is basically the religious leaders of the day. Matter of fact, let's look at this. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, this is why Jesus gives these three parables back to back. It says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, quote unquote, I love that, the sinners, were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus hears this and he responds with these three parables back to back. Now, the first parable, again, the the parable of the lost sheep, is a parable of search and rescue. There's something that's lost, and it's rescued, and then it's brought back. Now, these religious leaders of the day, again, the cultural context in which this would have been written in, would have had no problem with that because, again, it's the guy's livelihood. It's his job. It's his vocation. There's just some things that we have to do, work in this office. You know, if you go to McDonald's, if you work at McDonald's, you have to wear the hat. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever worked at McDonald's, you have to wear the McDonald's hat. It's just part of the job. You work at this job, you got to do this job, it's just part of the job. And so they kind of go, okay, search and rescue does the job. And Jesus mentally goes, okay, they're not catching the message. So he goes to something that has financial slash sentimental value to it and talks about the parable of the lost coin. And again, it's another search and rescue. The, 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 um, the, the person searches the house and they sweep the house and they, they search it until they find it, until they rescue it. And, and so, and again, they're still not getting it. Because, again, they say, hey, that makes sense. You know, it costs something. It's sentimental value. Sure, we would all do that. There, there's no issue with that. There, there's, there's no sting. There's no conviction to what he's saying. So then Jesus, as he does in, in great fashion, goes after the juggler. And he basically says this. There was a father who had a lost son. And he tells this story of escape. Look at it in verse number 17. He says this. And, and when, when the son came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare while I'm starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. No search and rescue there. It's just a story of escape. Because the, the, the background of the story goes that the youngest son says to his dad, I'm tired of living under your roof. I'm ready for my inheritance, and I want to go live the life the way I want to go live it. 
And the father says to the son, I love you enough and I've raised you and I've poured myself into you. And so here's your inheritance. Go and be blessed. But the young son goes and he takes his inheritance and he goes to a faraway land and he blows his money on women and drinking and partying and all kinds of crazy things that he does. And, and he finds himself totally spent, broke, flat busted, eating from a pig trough. And, but, but in the story, there's, there's no search and rescue. Does that kind of catch you odd? It's a story of escape. I mean, I mean, do you remember where you were when, when Jesus found you? Do you remember when your face was, when you were face first in the pig trough of sin and you had not the ability to pull yourself up from it? You had not the ability to come to your senses. You had not the ability to, to turn around and, and, and just change because there was, it's just too complicated and there's just too much stuff and you just don't understand the backstory. So why the escape story? I mean, why is it search and rescue, search and rescue, escape? Where, where's the search and rescue? Should there have been a search and rescue? Should the father have been the one to go after him? I mean, he loved the son, apparently so. The Bible says that he, that he went and looked for him every day and saw him. And when he was even far off, he, he runs to the son. Should the mother, I mean, a mother's love, how can you doubt a mother's love? Should she have been the one to go and search and rescue? Should have been a hired servant? I mean, the, the, the man was definitely wealthy. And had hired servants and people. I mean, he could have sent someone and commissioned someone to go bring his son back. Should have been the brother? The, the answer is, is that the older brother was tagged, if you would, to rescue his younger brother. But he didn't. And here's what Jesus knows as he's talking. Let's go back. Can we go back to verse number one and verse number two real quick? Remember the audience again? Remember the audience of, of, of who this is? The tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered and said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So out of a response of Jesus going to people that are eating out of the pig trough, if you would, he gives these three parables. And Jesus knowing the first one didn't quite register. And the second one, they're still not getting it. You know, they're, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. And so he goes after the third one. And here's what he understands. That in Jewish custom and in Jewish day, these men would have understood this. That the oldest son, when he's born, not just because of his chronological age and order, but he will spend more time intentionally with the father. The father will take more time with the eldest son. The father will pour more time and more energy into the eldest son. The father will teach more intently the eldest son because the eldest son has a responsibility, a responsibility to learn and have the heart of the father. And the only way the heart of the father can be translated to the son is through time. And that that son is to know the heart of the father for two reasons. Because one day he too will pass on. He too will have his own wife and have his own children. And he will lead on this godly heritage that the father will pass on to the son. But if something happens to the father, the son is to take responsibility for the family. So much so that when inheritances are given out, the oldest brother gets twice what anybody else gets. Not because he's blessed. But he's given the responsibility to take care of the family and to translate the DNA of the father, the heart of the father, to the other children to take care of them. These religious leaders of the day knew that. 
And they're listening to the story, and they're all not thinking to themselves, well, who should go? Should anybody go? What's the deal? They're, all of a sudden, it clicks. Search and rescue, search and rescue, escape. The older brother should have gone. The older brother should have been the one. And immediately, they get it. But Jesus says, well, here's the response of the older brother. He reads their minds. Check it out in, in verse 25 to verse 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And he came near the house, and he heard the music, and he heard the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, replied. And he replied, and the father has killed the fatted calf because he is back home safe. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son, when this son of yours, notice there's no relational connection to him. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, I mean, he goes, he just lays it right out there. Comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? And the response of the father is, my son, you always are were with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. In essence, Jesus is talking right to the heart of these spiritual leaders. Why? Can we go back to verse number one and verse number two real quick, guys? Remember who he's talking to. Remember why he's doing these three parables. Because Jesus was hanging out with sinners and they were attracted to him. And the religious leaders of the day said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. The message translation says he hangs out with such scum. Thanks, guys. Jesus basically zeroes right in and goes, hey, the older brother doesn't go after the younger brother. He doesn't take the heart of the Father and he doesn't translate it and go after the one who's in, who's in need. And he gets out. He escapes. Somehow he escapes from this life of, 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 of destitution and he gets back to the Father's house, but of no help of the brother. And Jesus is looking at these, these religious leaders of the day and he says, look, you need to understand. I'm the son of the Father. And I carry the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is not to sit in the house, but it's to go out to find the lost brother and bring him home. And you sit in your robes and you sit in your pious attitude and you sit in your religious ways and you fold your arms and you curse me and you speak down about me. But I'm actually doing what the Father sent me to do. I am searching and rescuing that which is lost. And you, of all people, should know this because you're the religious leaders of the day. You're the one that are supposed to be the closest to the heart of God. You represent God to the people, yet you have folded your arms. And you've been mad, and you've been upset, and you've said, but look, we've been with you, God. And look, we've served you, God. And we've been faithful, God. And we've done this, God. And we've done that, God. And these Sadducees, excuse me, these sinners and these, and these publicans and, and these people are outcasts, and they don't serve you, yet we do. And you get mad at a holy God because you remain in the house instead of having the heart of the brother to go after that which is lost. You have no problem with search and rescue when it comes to your job. That's why you have no problem with the lost the 99, with the sheep. You have no problem with, with search and rescue when it comes to financial gain because, hey, that makes dollars and cents. But when it comes to humanity, 
when it comes to that which God loves, when it comes for that which God has given me to live my life and die on the cross, you fold your arms and you don't get it, you act no different than the brother. In fact, you are the brother. Because you, men of God, have been tagged above all people to have the heart of God and to give it to the people, yet you refuse to. And you have excuses like, I don't feel it. I'm out of bounds. I quit. Do you see what Jesus is doing? There's a whole lot to that. They understood the context. They understood what was going on. They understood that Jesus is making this value statement that humanity is above job. Humanity is above livelihood. Humanity is above money and riches and sentimental value. It is people in which Jesus Christ came to die for. It's people which God's love. And Jesus basically is saying to the religious leaders, tag, you're it. And as Christ followers today, we've been tagged. Isn't that what he's done with us? He's tagged every one of us, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that we're not our own, the Bible says, that we've been bought with a price. And in that moment, basically, Jesus has given us our marching orders, and he says, you are to give. Give of what? The love of God. The Bible says that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. If you do this, you'll fulfill the entire law. I mean, you're talking about the entire canon of Scripture of the Old Testament is fulfilled in that one thing. And oh, by the way, go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel to every living creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tag, you're it. He says it to churches. Tag, you're it. You're set in the community, and you're set in the context of the community, not for yourself, not to make a livelihood, not to have a job, not to make a living, not to make sentimental value, but to go after the people who I died for, to go after those people that are face deep in the in the pig trough of sin, who cannot come to their senses on their own and search them out and rescue them. That's our job. And we can reply with one of three responses. We learned it when we were in grade school. I didn't feel it. I don't feel anything. You know, pastor, that's your calling, brother. Let's get spiritual. You know, when you get spiritual, you have that really deep voice. I can't do it very well, but It's that Johnny Cash, spirit of Johnny Cash comes on you. I just don't feel like that's what I'm called to do. I don't feel like, and I talk to pastors sometimes who who really don't lead in this direction. And they, well, I just don't feel like our church. Our church is to be a place of worship. Our church is to be a, 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 a place of this or a place of that. No, 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 no. Let's boil it down. We're here to be with the sinners We're here to love the unlovable. Why? Because that's what God did for you and I. The Bible says when we were in our sin, Christ loved us and died for us. Period. You don't have to cut your hair. You don't have to go burn your music. You don't have to, 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 right then and there. Yeah, there's a holiness, there's a purity, there's a sanctification that's instantaneous and progressive. But but, but get beyond all of your theological barriers and just understand God loves people. He loves you and he loves me. And the excuse, I don't feel it, doesn't really work. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Or it's out of balance. It's just, that's beyond me. That's beyond my gifting. I'm just not spiritually gifted to, to, to do. Really? 
Seriously, you can't tell somebody your story. You can't invest in someone relationally, just have a friendship and just smile. Just look, that may be the best thing you can do is just smile. Some of you look better already right now. Just smile, right? And just be kind to someone. And out of that comes an opportunity just to love people. You go, does that make a difference? Sure it does. Just to love people right where they are. Well, that's just not my personality. You're basically saying I'm, that's out of bounds for me. I just don't feel I, that's out of bounds for me. Or the big one, I quit. I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to sit here week in and week out. I'm going to hear you preach your guts out about this. I'm going to look at it in Scripture. And the red letter and the black letter and in this version and in that version. But I'm not going to do it. And I'm just going to fold my Bible up and I'm going to smile and I'm going to put my $10 in and I'm going to go home. And I'm going to feel like I did God a service because I, check, I went to church. That's what the religious leaders of the day did. But God's called you and I to search and rescue. He's called us. Just to give and to go. We've been touched. We've been tagged by God to do that. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? I mean, you can't walk out of here and go, well, I didn't know. Nobody told me it was my responsibility because I think God was say, no. I remember back on... Uh, uh, the, it was the 4th of, uh, of September in the year 2010, and, and you heard a message for the gazillionth time about the same subject. So yeah, you were duly informed about my word and my will. Because again, when you see verse 1 and verse 2, you see what the religious establishment of the day has to say. Because they don't get it. And you push fast forward 2,000 years, and the, and the religious establishment of our day doesn't get it. They're still the pious Pharisees and Sadducees with their arms folded, and they want church to be about them and for them and where they feel comfortable. And God tags them, and he, just like he's tagged us. And they had the, all these same excuses of, I don't feel it, and it's out of bounds for me, and I quit. But it's still the heart of God, and it's still that. And can I tell you, there's still humanity that's at the pig trough of sin, that unless you and I roll up our sleeves and give and go and search and rescue and love the unlovable, and help the, help the helpless and, and, and heal the hurting and do what the heart of God is. We will never fulfill our God-ordained purpose as individuals or as a church. But when we began to give and we began to go and we began to search, God will begin to help us rescue and we'll begin to see lives change and people's change and, and marriage turns around and kids come back home and all of this because the heart of God is more than a lost sheep. It's more than a lost, a lost coin. It's all about lost humanity that Jesus Christ died for. And if you want to find Jesus, you might not find him hanging out with a religious crowd. You might find him still in the sinners and the publicans and the people that the religious establishment turned their nose up to. Can we go back to that verse one more time? Because again, this is what they said about Jesus. The tax collectors, which was the worst of the worst, and the sinners were gathering around to hear him. And the religious leaders muttered 
This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Father, I thank you for your word.